we've reviewed this culture values from time to time, like every quarter. And we're like, okay, let's take a look. We have this word data-driven, and we feel like it's not reflecting our values well enough because we can be data-driven, but data can mislead us. So we don't want that to happen. We want to apply our basic human intelligence and creativity to the data that we're seeing, right? Because we're surrounded by tons of data every day. So we're like, okay, data-driven is not the word. Let's replace it with data-informed. Hi, I am Sophie Vaux, and this is the Rise and Play podcast. In this new series, I am focusing on portraits of women who have an outstanding career in games. How did they get into games? How did they reach their high position and career? What have been their personal and career choices to get to the level? And why? I want to bring more light to the wide range of career paths available for women in leadership positions in the industry. And to inspire you to dream big for your life and career too. Let's begin. So today I am very delighted to have Valeria with me. Valerie Alfimova is the Chief Revenue Officer at Apodil Stack, a mobile ad tech and gaming group of companies. Apodil Stack's mission is to enable creators to start and scale successful mobile app businesses. Valerie is a global sales and marketing executive with more than 10 years of experience leading media, mobile ad tech and gaming ventures. Over the last five years, Valerie has been instrumental in driving the company's transition from a single product startup to a multi-subsidiary company serving 100k plus mobile app developers worldwide. So hi, Valeria. Hi. Yeah. Oh my God, that's a big introduction. I was like, <laughs> is that all about me? <laughs> <laughs> I have experienced this as well when someone else is reading my music. Is this me? Who is this person? <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, it's a good reflection to see yourself through a third eye. So super excited to have you. And it's always exciting to have also more people coming from growth and marketing, sharing a bit more of the journey, what the function, the craft is about. And before we start, I'd like to ask first, what is exciting in your life at the moment that you would like to share with us? I've been with the company for the past five years, so it remains the most exciting project of my life at this point. And like you said, this transition from a single product to multi-subsidiary, like different business unions, vertically integrated company, that's the most exciting project that I'm working on right now. And the fact that we're able to transition from just a mediation product to like a full-fledged growth platform, we were able to integrate with attribution partners. We were able to join BitManager to our platform, different functionalities that are making it not just like a mediation product, but way more than that. So the fact that we were able to help creators, developers to grow and scale their businesses, and it's actually happening, and our vision and our mission is being fulfilled within our product, this is something that makes me really excited. That's on professional side of things. On the personal side of things, one thing that I've become more into is chess. Oh. So I started playing chess recently. My friend got me into that. And it turned out that I had a relative back in Russia. His last name is Paul Gajewski, and he's a famous world chess player. And it turned out he was my relative. I just recently learned that. Wow. So I was like, well, maybe I should just see if I'm any good at chess. I wouldn't say I'm good. I'm still like learning, but it's very exciting because it's very different from what I'm doing at work. 
And at the same time, it is very challenging, but it's very fulfilling, like emotionally. Nice. There was Queen Gambit that made it very popular past years, but I've been back also into it. What is amazing about the game, it's so deep and strategic. That's, I think, what makes the best uh, games and game design. It's so well designed that the combination of play and growth from each game to game, there's really some depth where it's like, well, my God, there's so much still I could do better. And you have to also plan ahead the move of your opponent. So it's actually very strategic. I see some, I would say, similarities as well, playing chess with how you use your brain professionally. No, that's 100% true. And even my husband, he was like, well, you're kind of not working, but at the same time, you are working. <laughs> so your brain is active and you're strategic. It's more of an enjoyment to me rather than anything at this point. So I'm playing with my friend or online or with my teacher, but I'm not like playing with people out there. So that's the next step for me to just go to the chess tournament wow. in person and be able to play with someone because I'm still very shy and I feel like I need to learn way more than that. <laughs> so this is a challenge that is very similar to what you experience at work. Like you're constantly strategizing and you're not putting some things out there, but sometimes like you need all of this feedback and you need to be a team player. <laughs> this is very similar. And I'm like, well, I've done this before at work, so why can't I just do this for chess? Learning to learn again, right? Because at this point of career, you've been very consistent in a direction where you become an expert and then you don't find yourself being a novice, mm -hmm. feeling like a beginner, felt really uncomfortable for me. Humbling exercise to practice something where you're just stuck at it, you know, and you're not good <laughs> until you learn and you will become better over time. So Yeah, that's very much true. <laughs> but we are not here talking about chess, although I love to talk about chess as well, because I think it's a fascinating game. So I would like to understand what you do as a chief revenue officer, maybe some background to understand what Apollo is about and why I understand correctly that you are not only focused on games, right? So I would like to understand more how company has been growing, how you have accompanied the growth of this company and that how games fit into your strategy as well today. Sure. So... Like I said, I joined the company five years ago and I joined it as a product marketing manager. And honestly speaking, I was looking for a summer job. <laughs> so I was studying at the university in the United States and that was my summer break. And I was like, well, I need to do something, you know. So my friend posted on Facebook that they needed product marketing manager. So I joined the company and I was just amazed by the amount of technicalities, by the amount of immersion into the product that I needed to embrace. It was a very, very different world. Even though my previous startup, it was a media outlet similar to Vice. Mm -hmm. That's what we've been trying to build back in Russia. And surprisingly, we didn't get banned for like six years. Wow. Due to censorship in Russia, we were able to function for six years. At my startup, I was able to bring the advertisers. I was able to work with investors directly. But it was still very different for like 20 people. And then I changed the direction, going to the international company, Apple Deal, and working with this very complex, very different product that I needed to get a grasp on because I was completely novice, just like I am with chess now. <laughs> and I was like, what are those words are about? I was so lost. I was looking up all of these terms and like ad tech is so complex. You need to look at the schemes, how the set exchanges work and whatnot. But 
it's been maybe one year or two before I got promoted to VP marketing because I got so excited about the product itself. So you have a mobile app or game and you just install the SysDK and you can earn money and you can reinvest it into business growth. Mm. And being an entrepreneur, I was like, well, that, that's cool. I wish I had it back then. So this is how I got excited about the product itself. And I started learning more and more about the industry. I was just constantly asking questions. I was just like catching people in the holes, you know, just like trying to get a hold of everyone and just learn as much as possible about the industry, about the product, about how we can help. I think I got really inspired by our mission. So when I joined the company, the mission was already there. And I think that's the crucial element that keeps us moving because our CEO, he's a huge visionary. He has this like very determined, straightforward mission and vision. And he's like, this is what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, how do I transmit this vision into real life? How this vision is being reflected in our product and now I think we're getting closer over the past five years to fulfilling this mission because the product that we've built, it's a reflection of this mission. So our mission is to enable creators to scale and start their successful mobile businesses. So we have mediation, monetization, we have UA management, automated campaigns, automated bidding automated creative management, everything that you need to save some time and to actually be able to focus on the product itself. And then we actually flow all of the product metrics into our dashboard and all of the UA metrics that you collect with attribution platforms. So we integrate it with Adjust, AppSlayer. And I think because of how complex and at the same time very well-rounded the product is becoming, I feel like that's becoming the representation of the mission. And the next step for us is the accelerator program where we actually are able to share all these insights to provide access to our product to someone who's new to the industry. And this is what I see being very instrumental to fulfilling our mission because people who just joined the industry, it's very hard for them to understand what's happening. And I remember my feeling five years ago. <laughs> now able to share all of these insights. So basically, we take the insights from our own games and we're sharing these insights through marketing with the accelerator program applicants, with anyone who's using our platform. So you're able to get benchmarks on a certain genre. We're providing all of the guides, all of the instructions, because we understand how hard it is to be new to the industry. This is how we look for the apps that are promising, but they're not with a big publisher yeah. yet. And that's a part of our strategy as well. Wow. I can definitely relate to the complexity. I remember as well when I was getting more into performance marketing a few years ago. My God, it was like there was a lot of resistance. <laughs> like, this is too complicated. I should not look at this, but you have to understand the business of games fully, like the 360. And I think that's one of the main barriers coming from the game development side where you are set to help as a company is really where the creators really focus on the game, quality something that has traction. And the biggest hurdle after is like once you have something that has traction and first, do you have reliability of data? And second is, can you scale sustainably? And this is the hardest step when you are a small business, not to mention the lack of understanding of how it works. That is the barrier for many developers to get to the next level. 
And even with mid-sized developers, we have this misconception because we started out strong as a company for indie developers. And then within the Appadil growth platform, it's also mid-sized developers who are there for transparency because actually the market is so consolidated now. Yeah. The choice is not very obvious because you see all of these big platforms their walled gardens to this mid-sized developer. So scaling further and not being stuck and trusting your partner, I think that's also a huge problem at this point for them. So even if they know everything already and they've been through all of the steps and they're not indie anymore technically, they still need to rely on data and they need to have a solid instrument and developing their own business intelligence system, for example, it can take years and it's a waste of resource for them. Mm. I feel like it's very important for developers of any size. Having also talked to several companies that are helping at least game companies on the growth and also analytics, it sounds to me like you're a very product-focused company. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we have our account management teams, they're amazing, but we're focusing on the product Because we have our own games, it's very important for us to develop this high-quality product for our games and for people out there. Mm -hmm. Nice. I think that's also something that makes you probably stand out, knowing a bit the background of different companies in growth. So now let's also get back to your position as a chief revenue officer, which is not a very familiar role for me. So I would like to understand more what's your you know, mission with this role. What are you focusing on these days, your priorities? Well, on one hand, the CRO function, it's one of the most conventional functions within the organization, especially when you're like that heavily product focused. Mm -hmm. You bring money to the table. <laughs> that, that's, yeah. you know, the chief revenue officer. You're supposed to bring the money to the table and make sure the company is growing through marketing, sales, customer success, wow. and valuable partnerships. You work on like powerful messages and memorable design. You work with customer experience a lot relate to clients' problems. And then on the other hand, you need to stay like extremely data-informed and rely on numbers on a daily basis. It seems like a very big set of responsibilities, right? It is the goal of many companies to grow and make revenue. So the mission you're taking on is really strategic for the survival of a company. And how do you organize yourself? How do you tackle like this mission? So it's not a secret that if you don't have a team nothing is going to happen, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Our strategy has been to attempt to keep the headcount relatively low. So we only hire like A players mm -hmm. and we only hire people who can really relate to our mission, vision and strategy. That has been our secret, I think, because every single person we hire, it doesn't matter what kind of job they're doing. We're very focused on them being like data informed, being analytical, being very thorough. The team is overall like 150 people, but it's not like we want to scale to 1,000. Mm. So this is why we're like keeping this headcount relatively low, despite the complexity of the product that we're working on. We're not hiring like tons of people. And I think that's our secret to success, that we're hiring people who are really like dedicated, who want to work with us. As for me personally, out of this 150 people, I used to have 10 plus direct reports <laughs> and it was dreadful to my productivity. So now I only have two direct reports. It's VP marketing and customer success. And there are teams reporting to them and that's it. And then we're effectively divided, like I said, in four different business entities and each executive collaborates across these units depending on the project and involvement needed. 
So even though I have like relatively small amount of people reporting to me directly, I have to collaborate with like a lot of people with different departments. So we're relatively flat in terms of the structure. We remain flexible just so every executive, they have a chance to dig deeper and be project focused rather than keep the reins and not being involved to anything. Related to the direct reports, it is a good call indeed to have fewer. You give example when you had many, too many, and it is not very helpful even for you to really focus mm-hmm. on what you should be doing, but also having a proper attention to your reports and helping them grow. So I'm curious here to understand how you decided to be structured this way, the team. So I understand as well, you are basically on top of most of the staff. And what inspired you in the leadership structure you have for the organization and how did you come to this model? It's a very good question. The model itself, it evolved from our desire to become a vertically integrated company. So it's essentially a strategic choice. Mm -hmm. And when we realized that mediation is not enough for us to fulfill our mission, we started building out other products. For a while, we were operating as the one entity working on all of these products. We had dedicated teams, but they were so interconnected and the org structure was just not serving the purpose. (laughs) So we discussed that with the executive team that it's becoming inefficient because it's moving too slow. Mm. This is how we started trying this new structure and everything started happening so much faster (laughs) because we divided into this company. So we tried to keep it all united by the same mission, same vision, same strategy. And we provide the vision to our team members to understand how they are a part of this virtuous circle. Every company has its own place within the circle, but effectively we're delivering to the same mission altogether. Mm -hmm. So we have this layer of C-level executives. We have this layer of strategy, vision, and mission that is united in every company. But then these four companies within the stack, within the holding company, they have their own goals and they have their own objectives and key results that are delivering to the top. Mm. That's proven to be very efficient for us. I'm not saying that's for everyone, but I feel like for vertically integrated companies, that's one of the ways to go and to beat the competition in the end because at some point you're just becoming too big and corporate. Yeah, it's not the same when you are... 10 and 30, 50, 100. So yeah, a good reminder indeed for a velocity. And so as we talk about this importance to stay lean and effective, how much intention do you put into the values of the company, the culture you have here? Is it something you talk about that you crystallize or how would you describe in your own words? Yeah, because we have the video on, you can see me nodding. I'm like, uh-huh. this is my favorite topic uh-huh. ever. <laughs> cool. <laughs> because like I said, the team is everything. So I believe if you have someone who's just there for money and they're just doing their job and they're like, it's fine, but essentially it's not contributing to the big mission at a certain point. There are a lot of organizations that people are just there for money. They don't care about your mission too much. They don't care about your culture values. They somehow relate to them, but it's not like they're being passionate, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's completely fine. At some point of the development of the organization, it's what's necessary, right? You don't, you can't have this like hot-headed people running around and being crazy about your mission. Like at some point, it's just not possible. <laughs> <laughs> but for us, the culture 
I would say that's the main pillar of success. And we have our culture book that I personally, I think, know by heart at this point wow. because I'm the one delivering these values to the employees and trying to share them. And to me personally, like I bring up this culture book, I bring up our culture values during the first interview, whatever interview I'm having, mm-hmm. I'm just straight away telling people like, here's what we are, here's what we value. If you want to be part of this, I'm happy. If you feel like it's not for you, please find something that it's more suitable for you because in the end of the day, you don't want to work with people that you don't share your culture values with. Like culture book and all of the values, they play a huge role in the company's development and growth. For example, we encourage our team to be independent and geeky Mm -hmm. and direct and straightforward. We apply this principle of radical candor at work. And we want them to stay data informed and we want them to be humble team players. And we actually make sure that it's all led by example. And it's not just like pompous words to put into the book. Yes, yes, yes. So we review this culture values from time to time, like every quarter. Wow. And we're like, okay, let's take a look. We have this word data driven and we feel like it's not reflecting our values well enough because we can be data driven, but data can mislead us. So we don't want that to happen. We want to apply our basic human challenges and creativity to the data that we're seeing, right? Because we're surrounded by tons of data every day. So we're like, okay, data-driven is not the word. Let's replace it with data-informed. And it's actually the conversation that we're having at the executive level and with all of the employees. So we discuss this part and then we have an all hands for the employees every quarter where we make sure not just update people, oh, these are our numbers, this is how we're growing, this is what we achieved, when we have a chance to assemble everyone, we tend to speak more about our culture because we want people to understand what we're doing here. Like you're not just here from nine to five Mm. doing your job. Mm. Like this is something that you want to relate to. Another important point is that before we grew to 100 people, we're like, oh, we're a family. Like every startup is a family. But then... (laughs) We realized if they say this is a family, that means you're going to be working 24-7 without any benefits (laughs) or stocks or anything. So to me, that's a dangerous path a lot of companies are taking because let's be real. People have their families. They have their chosen families. They're already fine, a lot of them. And I don't mind having friends at work. As a matter of fact, like I'm friends with a lot of people at work, but we mostly relate to the term sports team. Mm Because we want people to stay competitive. We want them to be aligned with their objectives. Because on its own, I feel like it delivers zero value, this formula of family. Like, what do you mean? (laughs) I don't mind some companies, they have their feeling. They're fine with being families. But for us, it's more about being a sports team, I'd say. I can tell like from the way you talk about it and also the concreteness that you seem very aware of your values. You know, I love those topics as well. So for me, it's very walking the talk, right? So not just words, but the fact that you reassess regularly those values. Do they resonate still true to where we are, who we are today? A reflection on the culture as a family. Yeah, I think it was also coming from the book of Netflix. And I would agree here as well that it sends the wrong message when we are mixing the work with family because the reality is like, first, we don't share the same DNA in blood. So we are technically not a family. At the end of the day, we are here in a business, right? So with objectives and we are here to create value and something. So this is not the topics you have in a family. So I think you can be friendly 
as the feeling as a family. Maybe some companies try to achieve, but at the end of the day, you are not. And by contract as well, you are not, right? So you are <laughs> paid for work or something to deliver. And then if you break this contract, there are consequences. So it's not something you have in a family. So when you get down to really the technical definition of what a family is, then you realize maybe it's not the most accurate word to use to describe a friendly environment or where you care about people, being specific about the idea behind the family and incorporating that in your culture. Family may not be describing properly what you want to achieve in a culture. Yeah, I feel like being a family is nothing wrong with that. But in our case, we're taking the best what you can have because families can also be dysfunctional. <laughs> so, for example, the responsibility and ownership so we try to make sure that people, they are responsible, they have their skin in the game, they're actually committed to what they do. For example, we still have the stock compensation program for every employee that joins the company. So every single employee, they have the stocks Amazing. in the company. So this is why you're not just being a part of the family, you've been the part of the team. Yeah feel your personal responsibility in it mm. and you feel like you provide this confidence to other people to your team members hey you can rely on me yeah <laughs> oh very nice how you wrote or drafted your culture book i was also uh, writing about that like a handbook and it's a fun exercise to do but i'm always also very inspired by other organizations how they do it and you know and it's a tool in the end you know for no um, it's actually not a secret like the answer is very short basically there is a company, Panda Dog, and our founder, he's a very good friend of their founder. <laughs> and we just took their culture book <laughs> effectively, but we rewrote it. So, and we rewrote it, adapted it to our values, and it keeps changing. I feel like if you compare it to versions now, they're going to be so different because we keep adapting it to our company. We're so grateful to PandaDog for having this available at that point because we needed a starting point for something to start writing this culture book. So if more companies were making this information, like Atlassian, for example, they make a lot of information public and you yeah. go to their website and you see like how their processes are organized. That's so great. Like it's very valuable for the companies that are just starting out. So for us at that point, it was very important that we could have this example in front of us. So still like an artist. <laughs> Sometimes you don't want to reinvent the wheel and there I think if things exactly. resonate true to you, I think like values you can borrow like concepts and then make it your own. So I think it's great also it's a very humbling like just let's not reinvent values to be fancy here. Like how do we want to work? And if we see something works, we can get inspired from. Let's work with it. So I think it's also a great example to look what's out there, references, companies, organizations being more public, indeed how they work, the process. And so it inspires others like, oh, we don't have to do it from zero. Others have done the work and we believe in this. And it's like a menu, you take the options and you create your own recipe. Yeah, exactly. Now let's reflect a bit more as well on your own journey and career. You have built also your own business before you joined Apodil and you grew also very quickly into C-level position, a lot of responsibility, but I hear also like maturity that has developed over the years. And so I'm really curious how it's been the journey for you and where did you get your main learnings that shape the way you think and strategize about business today? Yeah, you know, like being a young woman who works in tech, that's a big challenge on its own already. 
when I was a kid, my mom used to ask me, like, whom do you want to be when you grow up? And my two answers were a journalist. That was the first one. <laughs> and eventually I became a journalist. And then I opened up my own business with my co-founder. The second answer was director. <laughs> my mom was like, what exactly are you going to manage? But I just knew I wanted to organize processes, help people lead by example. So when I joined Apadil, for example, I wasn't thinking, oh, I need to grow, you know, I need to take this career steps in terms of the title itself. So it's quite a surprise to me when I look back, I'm like, I was so, you know, curious about everything. So I think curiosity is the main driver here. For example, I see that our vision is not being reflected in our goals for the quarter and it's not being dissected in terms of strategic planning. So maybe we can apply some framework. Maybe we can start working like Google and apply this objectives and curious outs framework. This is what I suggested to my CEO to do. Even though it was technically outside of my responsibilities, outside of my comfort zone, I was still like, okay, let's try and do that. I was trying to get into every aspect of business just because I was naturally curious about it. Steve Jobs used to say, staying hungry and staying foolish. And just understanding that you're not here just for the job because it's so boring. <laughs> it will eat you inside if you'll be just working for money. I think yeah. that's, it's like a truism, but that's actually true. <laughs> so this is what helped me to grow within the company. The fact that I was not afraid of taking more responsibilities and trying to learn as much as possible. I think that secret recipe is not that secret, I think. <laughs> And are very uh, through this uh, hunger of learning things that really shifted something for you in vision of life or mindset through all the things that you learn and knowledge you get through your own path? Just zoom out, you know. I've been still struggling with that because sometimes you're so absorbed with your business. Sometimes you're like, oh, I need to do this and this email and I need to send this. And I really appreciate when their focus on operations and execution is very important. But at the same time, like not being able to see the big picture, that could be dreadful for your business. <laughs> this is why like every single week we have our planning sessions and we just block out everything. We don't have any calls, no interruptions. We just like think and plan the week out. And we're not being spread out across all of these tasks. It's never going to be enough. You know, it's all of these operations, like you can just get soaked into that forever. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one lesson, I think. And I'm very grateful for this lesson. The other person that inspires me a lot is actually Patty McCord, the chief talent officer of Netflix and her book, Powerful. I was really amazed by the fact how open she was about hiring emotionally mature individuals. I know it's very controversial, okay, but she basically took all of my thoughts and put them into nice words. And I was like, well, that's exactly what I needed. How do I approach hiring? How do I approach recruiting? How do I approach onboarding? And what people I want to work with, because it's still a choice, you know. Her book really inspired me. And then the third inspirational point in my life was, I would say it's Nassim Taleb and his books, yeah. all of his books, the way I looked at the world before and after, especially Black Swan. I read Black Swan when I was starting my own business and I was like, oh, all of this uncertainty. So that actually happens in the world. And I like that it's like mathematically proven. He made me approach 
you know, life from a different perspective. Awesome. And thanks a lot for sharing the references. I don't know your CEO, but sounds like a very interesting person to talk to and be inspired <laughs> from a book that shaped my thinking about the world is anti-fragile as well that yeah. you wrote. And at last, as we are reaching the end of our talk today, you know, like let's allow ourselves to dream a little bit here. And you are in a great place. I think like when I get a sense of a conversation today, you seem very serene, like very positive, inspired. But let's dream a bit further. And what is something you'd like to see more, whether in your life, with a company or personal, that you, you would like to work for in the next years? Being a woman, I think the bigger mission that I have is to make sure that This technology, like mobile apps, it's spreading so fast, even into like this parts of the world where people never heard of internet, mm -hmm. right? So it makes me think that we can use it for good. And to me, it's very important that a lot of women specifically to be able to access information through mobile apps, to be able to educate themselves about their career, about how they can progress, even basic things like menstruation or having this journey as a woman packed into a mobile app. Mm. For example, I really like what Flo is doing mm. and period tracker apps. The fact that they're trying to bring this insights to women, I think that's very inspirational to me. And I know there are a lot of mobile apps already and startups doing that. So maybe this is the next you know, mission of mine and this is what I'm looking at. But this is something that inspires me a lot. This is what I read about a lot. And I believe that female education and specifically young female education, it's very important for the world development in general. <laughs> I love what you all just said and I can join this dream too and a big part also of my own motivation of well, doing this podcast and giving visibility to women like you who are in the step of a career and also influence to actually make a significant change. So you're already making a step with also a company like Apple to uh, enable creators and mobile apps to grow, to succeed with their own mission. And I'm looking forward to seeing a few years from now how you will evolve to get a bit closer to this very personal mission of yours. Thank you so much, Sophie. It was a pleasure to talk to you. So many interesting questions. I'd really love to listen to this podcast in a few years from now and understand where I've been and what journey I'm making towards my goals. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot for sharing and being so open. It was really a pleasure and delighting to listen to you today. Thank you. Thank you, Sophie. Take care. Thanks for listening to this new episode of Raise and Play podcast. If you enjoyed the content and want to support what we're doing, rate and review the podcast, spread the word about it. If you'd like to contribute to the change too, reach out to me on LinkedIn for a collaboration. You'll find all the rest of the content on riseandplay.io, including my free masterclass on conscious leadership, how to hire a team with a vision, or how to lead and build a team for the long-term game. Until the next time, 